0: the players' perspective on baseball in the COVID era. Minnesota Twins pitcher Randy Dobnek joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. My name is Ariel Cohen. And with me as always, Ruben Guy. How are you, Ruben?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing fantastic. And we've got a special guest tonight on the show. He has a career earned run average of 3.12. He's got a ground ball rate of 60%, which is enormous. He's accumulated 1.1 career war, according to baseball reference. And from my statistical standpoint, he posted a 36% wpdi in 2019 what's that we'll explain that later but i want to introduce minnesota twins pitcher randy Dobnak. how are you randy
2: good how are you guys
0: uh doing fantastic doing thank great. thanks so much how how's uh your new year started
2: um, not too shabby um i've thrown a few bullpens so get back in the swing of things a little bit getting ready for spring training
0: Right. I wanted to ask you, um, how does this off season compare to other off seasons prior? Because obviously we had the shortened 2020 season. We have an, a somewhat uncertain start to uh, 2021. Uh, are you doing anything differently?
2: Um, I'm kind of doing what I did during the whole quarantine thing. Uh, as far as, you know, kind of just, just typical throwing bullpens and stuff. I mean, the facilities that I use. Um haven't been locked down, so I've been able to go ahead and use those for throwing bullpens. And then the local high school field, I just go over and throw with um, the kid that catches me. So we just kind of go over in the mornings and whatnot. It's a little cold, but it uh, gets the job done. But as far as lifting and all that goes, you know, I've been able to use the gym and stuff. Um, so nothing really crazy is different compared to previous off seasons, other than, you know, the whole, you know, wear a mask thing, kind of dissonant yourselves and all that stuff.
1: Well, last year, you actually only had divisional play. You didn't actually face the entire league. Was it easier to prepare for games last year in the shortened season? And is it going to make it a little bit more difficult this coming season?
2: It was a little strange. I mean, I think it's it's a little bit beneficial sometimes, and sometimes it's not. You know, facing the same team over and over again, more than usual. um, I think benefits the hitter more than the pitcher. Uh, I think there's a point where I face... I can't remember if I faced the team three times in a row or it was just twice in a row. But we had one guy, I think Oderizi faced the Royals three times in a row, you know, and facing the same lineup, you know, three starts in a row, they kinda get used to you and whatnot. But going forward, I think um for me personally, you know, I treat each start or each game as a separate entity. So the day, days before leading up to it, if I'm if I'm gonna be starting, you know, I'll do my research, you know you know, see what the guys are, what guys are hot hitting, like what are they hitting, um, what are they hitting well, what are they like, not hitting well what, location-wise and all that. They kind of just, you know, come up with a game plan and attack them with that.
0: Yeah, you know, last year, Jacob deGrom in New York, he had a streak of four straight starts against the Marlins. There was a period of almost a month where all he faced was Marlins. So uh, anything goes <laughs> these years uh, with, with COVID, <laughs> it's crazy.
2: He's pretty nasty, so I can't remember how he did, but I think he did all right.
0: He, he did okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, from the players' perspective, as we have you on, uh, minor leagues have been uh, – there was no minor leagues in 2020. Um, how do you think that it's going to affect how prospects are coming up and how they're going to perform this year and also in their development uh, for the future?
2: Uh, I think it's just, it's really strange just to think about it. You know, whenever I signed in 2017, everything was normal. Um, as far as all that goes, you know, I don't really know how those players are going to be, like, managing what they've been doing because for some of them, they, will, they won't have played since, I guess, spring training of last year. Before that, you go all the way back to, you know, 2019 end of the season. So it'll almost be like almost a year and a half since they've played, you know, competitive baseball rather than, you know, throwing bullpens or throwing to live hitters, but you can do all that as much as you want, but comparing that to like a live game, you know, with fans and all that, it's just so much different.
1: Do you think there's going to be like an innings limit? I mean, for you personally, you pitched 128 innings in 2008, overall 163 in 2019, and only 46 innings last year. So do you think there's going to be an innings limit, especially if pitchers want to try to jump to 100 to 150, 150 to 175 innings next year?
2: um i think that i guess that'll probably vary team to team but i mean as far as i go i prepare the way that you know every season should be i, I go in you know expecting myself to be able to go out there perform every fifth day you know i don't want to take any chances. you know kind of go in the spring training you know thinking oh i'll get to throw some bullpens down here and there but i'm gonna go i go in the spring training over prepared I, I always have done that just because i know some guys come un, come in under prepared and they end up you know get hurt or, you know, things that shouldn't be happening happen. But I don't really know if, if I'll have a say in, you know, innings limit. I guess that it's all up to the analytics and the coaching staff and obviously the pitchers, you know, and how they feel. But I guess it's just, it just depends on how you prepare yourself.
1: And and will it depend also like I, I'm guessing you're assuming last year was your quote unquote rookie season. Will rookies be treated any different, or players coming off an injury like your teammate uh, Jake Odorizzi? He had an, he had an injury and he was he missed a lot of he some time last year. So is that going to affect him or or you going forward also? Um, I
2: don't think so. I mean, I can't speak personally for other people, but I know that you know Odorizzi's arm was totally fine. It was just you know the one time he got a line drive back at him, so he was out for. I forget how long, but that just, it was out of his control. And the other thing was a blister, you know, it's just things that are out of his control, you know. know, For some guys, you know, if they have arm problems, it's it's a bigger story rather than, you know, just having things that are out of your control and hurt you.
0: Right, so so you mentioned analytics might be involved, and you know one thing that we've noticed, especially since we we play a lot of fantasy baseball here, um, that the number of innings per start per pitcher has trended downward. I mean we see we saw the Tampa Bay Rays look at the World Series, Blake Snell was pitching a gem and uh the Rays held them to five innings and they had their playbook and the playbook said take them out after five um do you think we're going to see more of that going forward or was that just something that occurred in the short season that teams are going to try to say no we're going to find our pitchers who are going to really give us length next year
2: um I think last season might have been like a little bit of like a test run for some things you know but you know as far as we keep going like we keep going going and going with analytics you know it's getting more it's getting more important you know from pitch to pitch batter to batter um at first I wasn't really a big fan of it you know because I had that kind of old school mentality I'm gonna go out there and you know I'm gonna throw the baseball and I'm gonna get get outs and help the team win but nowadays they have like all that spin rate and stuff so I've been trying to help trying to use that to my advantage as much as I can but you know there's people that are above me that know a lot more about that stuff than I do. I just know I go out there and throw it and they tell me if it's good or not.
1: <laughs> so do the twins have a different, would you think a different philosophy? I don't want to, I don't want to step on any toes, but do you think the twins operate a little bit similar to the Rays? Are they a little bit more um, aggressive when it comes to this? Um, You don't have I to give anybody any secrets or anything like that. It's just, you know. <laughs> no, I, mean,
2: I I think they're pretty analytical, but you know, If a guy's rolling, you know, they're not going to take him out. I mean, I don't, I can't really speak for my, like, I can't really speak for my manager and stuff like that. But, you know, every team's different and they just want to do what's best for the team and what's best to go out there and win.
0: Right. So, you know, we have a big media environment today, social media and stuff, and fantasy baseball is huge. Um, Do do you pay any attention to to fantasy baseball at all? Is that – I know some football players, you know, they know, oh, my fantasy stats were were great this week. Do do you pay any attention to that or or others on your team?
2: I don't. I used to play that way back in the day, like in high school and college and stuff, and I always thought fantasy baseball was a little way too much for me. You know, baseball is just a super, you know – it's a long grind you know football is a little different you know right. 16 or 17 weeks and you can set your lineup you know once a week and I, I still play fantasy football but as far as baseball goes I mean I have some friends that play it and they'll kind of fill me in with you know how I did each start I'm like I don't really I don't really care for it but it's like it's kind of, if I have a good start it's like oh you helped me win cool right congrats <laughs> but yeah back, back when I used to play I thought it was just because it's like you got to check your lineup every single day and some guys sometimes people are late scratches and stuff like that but i don't i don't really know if many guys pay attention to this stuff as much as you probably think but i think right. i think football football's a little different <laughs>
1: You you actually did help one of our home leagues win because we picked you up very early and you were very con- you're one of our more consistent pitchers and so we'd like to thank you for that. Um, but <laughs> to move into a slightly different topic, you see a lot of players now on social media. You see you see uh, Trevor Bauer during his free agency. You see uh, uh, tr- uh your all your former teammate. Trevor May, uh, Marcus Stroman is on there. Blake Snell is on there. Does that have an impact on the players? Do you think? Because actually, Trevor May said that going on and being on social media actually helped him a little bit. Do Do you think that affects um players like yourself?
2: I mean, everybody's different. I mean, it's just kind of based on people's personalities, I guess. But for me, I mean, I like interacting with the fans. You know, good or bad. Every time I have a bad start, I'll go there and people will be cussing me out and giving me all kinds of bad names and my dms and stuff like that but i mean it's all part of it you know we're playing in the highest stage of baseball and you know people are gonna get mad people are gonna be happy and you kind of just kind of people just deal with it differently um but like i said with trevor May and stuff like that like everybody has their own little brand i guess you can say and just kind of the way that we go about it i like 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 i said i like interacting with the fans and kind of just you know trying to show them that we're real people not just like these walking robots and stuff
1: well, speaking of the fans, do you think that any players are going to be playing differently once the fans come back? I mean, it must have been very odd playing with no fans. I know you used to play in an independent league where the crowds weren't obviously weren't as big as the major leagues, but do you think that players will be playing different when the fans come back, and specifically, like, starters and relievers? Um, I, I like playing
2: – I think it's really weird playing without fans. You know, a lot of players feed off the energy that the fans bring, and it's just awesome, you know, just to have them there backing you if you have, like, if you if you're a hitter, if you like you know hit a home run, everybody's cheering for you. If you're a pitcher, you get out of a big situation. Um, just like all that energy coming out of the crowd and stuff like that. And we, you know we play for the fans, and we like to entertain them and go out there and have fun doing it. So as far as that goes, I think I don't really know if it'll change the way that some guys play. Um, but you know, having a lot of people in the stands creates some of that adrenaline for some guys, and crazy things happen.
0: Do you think it affects uh closers uh, cuz I know that there are some closers that thrive on the energy uh in terms of the the uh the crowd coming in, we're a tight game situation, high leverage index and everything. Um do you think it might affect certain type of roles on teams?
2: Um I think maybe you know, relievers sometimes, you know, they come into the they come into the big situations, you know, the sticky spots where you know, they need to like have some more adrenaline pumping, you know, throw throw a little bit harder. Um and kinda of just feed out the energy that the fans bring. So if I had to guess, maybe the relievers are maybe even being the closer.
0: Right. Um so uh what how do you think uh, a, a pitching coach affects you? Um, we know that uh, Jeremy Hefner now with the, uh, the Mets are there. Um, you know, what, what impact ha- have, have you seen on pitching coaches for you personally? And maybe uh, tell us about the, the pitching coach that affected you most. Maybe you had a high school coach or a college coach or so. Uh, who was the person that affected you the most?
2: Um, I think pitching coaches have a lot to do with a lot of um, development of guys, you know, for me i never really had a pitching coach besides like my dad growing up you know he kind of just showed me like his thing was when we were growing up we were playing catch he's like you know just try different grips on the ball and throw it and see what happens with it because you know different different grips you know cause different movement and stuff like that and that was you know 15 plus years ago and come to think of it you know that's kind of how the way it is um so if i had to say anybody it's probably him you know he's the one who kind of taught me how to play the game and I never really had, like, a, you know, personal trainers or any like that, any stuff like that, pitching coaches um, growing up. Um, but, yeah, Jeremy did a great job last year. Um, this year we had Pete Mackey. He does a great job, kind of just giving instant feedback in the bullpens and when we're warming up, if we're just starting a bullpen, you know, on our off day or something like that. Um, and if we have questions, you know, they're there to help us answer them, and they have, like, all the analytical numbers and stuff to back it up, you know, if we're asking questions about, Spin rate, or location wise, and where we need to fa- where we need to third or certain guys, and all that stuff.
0: So, um, I, I do uh, a lot of statistics over at Fangraphs, and uh, I had an article last year uh, talking about a new statistic that I wrote called WPDI, Weighted Plate Discipline Index, uh, to give us an idea of the breakdown of: Are uh, is pitchers getting strikes in the zone? Is they getting contact? Are they getting swings? Basically, if you think about it, if I if I uh, express every single possible outcome in terms of three things, swung on made contact in and out of the zones. There's actually six outcomes. You can be in the zone, swung on, no contact, out of the zone, so on and so forth. Um, and if you take a look at the percentage of pitches that a pitcher throws that are generating contact, not in, out, and whatnot, um, you can learn a lot about a pitcher. And your name just popped up to me last year as having an elite uh, WPDI, an elite play discipline index. And part of that that I, I saw about you is the ability to get, players to swing outside of the zone. Uh, The great Greg Maddox, his recipe to what makes a great pitcher is throw a strike when they ain't swinging and throw a ball when they are swinging. (laughs) And uh, and I've noticed that you've done that. Um, Your quantities that you throw out of the zone are elite. Um, We're talking 80th, 90th percentiles of Getting, pitcher, getting batters to swing out of the zone. I mean, you, you want them to swing at crappy pitches and whatnot. Um, and of course, as most people notice with, some of the more regular metrics your ground ball rate is 60 percent that is super elite in baseball that means that out of every batter that they face that that hits a ball 60 percent go right to your infield and you like ground balls to the pitcher I'm assuming (laughs) uh so you know so can you tell us a little bit about whether you think what I'm saying is true whether you're planning for it um you know how, how does that come about in your arsenal are you aware of this and is that your the name of your game
2: um well i don't want to give away any of my secrets but you know <laughs> i mean people can go watch video you know the way that just it's just the way that i throw i have a lot of pitches that move downward you know my sinker my slider my changeup everything kind of just you know goes downward um so i try to live on the bottom of the zone and some you know sometimes they miss below the zone and i guess i get chases on those and they'll just i mean a lot of the time when they do make contact even if it's hard contact it's you know straight into the ground um i guess it's Sometimes they beat the shit. I guess you can say it's your podcast name, but um, it's just part of the game. That's part of the game. I can't. You can't really plan for that. You know, you can plan for a little bit, um, according to some hitters, but ultimately, you know, balls are going to find the holes once they put them in play. More like not more often, not, but I'm, I'll go on stretches where you know almost. I feel like every ball that's put in play somehow finds a hole, and then I'll go on stretches where like, oh my gosh, I every a ball put in play, guys are making plays on. Um, So my goal is just to keep the ball on the ground you know if i keep the ball on the ground that gives them less of a chance to get you know extra base hits or home runs putting balls in the gap and just creating um more base runners rather than singles because they say that you know singles won't kill you in the long run you know it's the it's the double it's just the home runs it's just the the power the power hits that are going to be the ones that kill you
0: right exactly um, we got a couple of mailbag questions uh, for people who wanted to get uh, your take on things. And one of them goes right, right, right to this ground ball issue. And uh, Frank says, as a ground ball heavy pitcher, what sort of things happen that fans may not necessarily be aware of? Do you talk with infielders on how you're going to try to get outs? Does having different infield personnel change your approach at all? Uh, do you consider things like exit velocity and try to hold batters to a minimum? Um, what, what do you think about uh, what Frank is asking?
2: Um, I th- we have like, I mean, we have coaches that will adjust the infielders according to each batter. You know, some guys are more pole heavy. Some guys will go every direction on the field so before each batter you know they'll adjust them you know sometimes have three guys shifts on the right side three guys shifts on the left side and whatnot um as far as me telling them what to do no i just go out there and throw the ball and wherever they put the ball in play i hope somebody's there to make a play and if not um i just clear my head and get get to the next batter uh as far as exit velocity goes you know I can't really control that either. I mean, I can just try and keep the ball on the ground. That's what I try and do. So, you know, sometimes guys are going to hit the ball pretty hard, but when they do that, I'm hoping that they put it right into the ground, you know, to give my infield a chance to make a play and get the guy out. So I'm not really – obviously, I don't want to keep the guys hitting high velocity off the bat, but as far as I can do it on my end, I'm just trying to get them to beat the ball into the ground as much as I can.
0: Michael asks, um, are you working on any new pitches for 2021 or are you trying to Corbinize any pitches? Uh, And, of course, Corbinize means to do what Patrick Corbin did and say, my slider is my best pitch. Just throw the heck out of it. Uh, (laughs) So which are you doing for 2021?
2: Um, I'm pretty much keeping the same repertoire that I have, just trying to perfect them all as much as I can and, you know, throw them for strikes at any count. That's kind of what my... Game plan is going into each game, trying to locate as best I as can and keep the ball down.
0: Right, uh, Kurt asks, "What is your favorite moment during your time in the US PBL?"
2: Um, I mean, I really—that I, was my first experience, kind of playing in front of fans. Because in college, I mean, we had like you know, thirty people max, and it'd be like girlfriends or you know parents and stuff like that. So. Every game that I played the u s pbl they they sold out every game we played three or four times a week and they always sold out you know five thousand plus they'd have firework nights and stuff like that and then we'd have time to you know sign for fans and stuff and I thought that was the coolest thing ever when I was there um, just getting just the opportunity to play in front of fans that are cheering for you and just to get just get that experience doing that it was pretty awesome
0: oh nice uh Matt asks. You can only have one Iron City Beer or uh, Iron City Beer or Prim Primanti Brothers. I don't even know what these are.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what the, uh, th- these are?
2: Yeah, they're both from Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. Uh, it's Iron it's Iron City Beer and uh, Primanti Brothers. I'm gonna go uh-huh. with Primanti Brothers.
0: <laughs> okay, what, what is it? A favorite restaurant or something?
2: It's a it's a restaurant that originated in Pittsburgh, and they're known for putting uh, fries on their sandwiches. It's really good stuff. If you ever get the chance to try it, I would try it. Uh, and they're also they're they're expanding around. They're in West Virginia and uh, Maryland and stuff like that. So they're getting around.
1: Okay. Well, I'm gonna jump a little bit here, and I'm gonna ask you a little bit about this coming season. There was a big trade this uh, today. One of your close rivals uh, traded away one of their better pitchers and one of their and probably their best player. How do you think the AL Central is gonna play out this year?
2: Um, I mean, I think it's it's gonna be a battle. I mean between Almost all the teams. I mean, the uh, the White Sox are young and they're really they're really good and they're going to be good for a long time. Um, the Indians are always going to be in in the mix with the Twins as well, um, and you know the Tigers. You can't get light on the Tigers as well. Um, as far as everybody else goes, and the Royals. You know they're young too and they're. I mean, every every team has a chance. So, um, but also, obviously, getting Lindor and Cookie out of the mix from the Indians is going to probably help us in the long run because I'm pretty sure Frankie was the first was the first guy I gave up a hit to so I couldn't I probably couldn't pick anybody else that's better
0: oh wow wow does, does that make you think wow now now I got a, a little bit of an easier start when I face the Indians did, did that run through your mind
2: <laughs> I don't I don't think it runs through my mind but I know in the back of my head that out the face I don't have to face to the door again well right. I guess not as much as I would think
0: Right, all right, all right. Let's end the show with a quick. uh, It's New Year, so what is your New Year's resolution for twenty twenty one?
2: Um, I never really thought about one, but if I had to say, I would just you know, stay healthy and go out there and compete and give myself a shot to come back next year.
0: Awesome, very good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Randy, for being on the show. Um, and uh, good luck to you in 2021. Uh, we, we hope that uh, the, the season will start on time. We hope that, hope that uh, the virus goes away. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing a lot more of those uh, Randy Dominick ground balls going forward.
2: <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Thank you. Our pleasure. We'll be back with Ruvain's injury report and some wrap up next. And we're back. All right, Ruvane. Uh We had a pretty big uh, trade today in uh, baseball. Francisco Lindor, Carlos Carrasco heading over to the Mets. Are you excited?
1: I am very excited. Um, being Mets fans, this is actually one of the biggest trades since, I guess, getting Cespedes in 2015 and going all the way back, getting Mike Piazza back in, I think it was 1998 when they got him. Um, this is the start of a team being good for a while if they can re-sign them.
0: Amazing. Uh, so the Mets receive those two on the going out from the Mets. The Indians receive Ahmed Rosario, Andre Cimenez, Josh Wolf, and Isaiah Green. Couple of prospects that the Mets took in first or second round, uh, and then a couple guys who are at the major league level. Um, so uh, let's not talk about whether the trade is good for the Mets in a baseball perspective, but from a fantasy wise. Um, which players are affected the most? I would have to think Carlos Carrasco even more so than Lindor, right?
1: Yeah, well, Carrasco is going from a, from a, going from a a good pitcher's park to an extremely good pitcher's park, and I think Derek Cardi already had mentioned on Twitter that he's going. I think from number five pitcher's park to number two, and that helps him immensely. Do you think that it outweighs because the the NL East
0: is a much tougher division than the AL Central? Uh, do the park factors outweigh the change in divisions?
1: I I don't think so. I I really think that good pitchers will pitch well no matter where they are and the, their surroundings will only help them it should only enhance them I mean he yes he played in a not that great division but it shouldn't affect him that much because he's he's still be the he's still going to be the pitcher who he is he's not going to change anything and he's going to have a possibly a better defense behind him for the entire season because that's what that's something that the Mets are actually working on and a better defense behind him means more runs saved means lower ERA possibly lower whip and you know that that's that's what you have to look for in when it comes to fantasy
0: and it helps Marcus Stroman, uh, who gets a lot of ground balls, just like our buddy Randy Dobnek, who is just on the show. Um, from terms of Lindor's value, I think it would help him because uh, especially the run production counting stats, the Mets offense will be a lot better than what the uh, Cleveland Indians would have been. I think the guy who gets hurt the most, and tell me if you agree, is uh, Jose Ramirez on the Indians, who now has no protection.
1: Yeah, he, he's going to be alone in that lineup. He's actually the most expensive, quote-unquote, player on that team. I think he's making like $9 million right now. And if they're cleaning house, I would probably expect him possibly to get traded also. I mean, he may even ask for a trade because that team looks like they're trying to rebuild at this point.
0: We'll see about that. Uh, does this trade make the Mets more or less likely now to acquire Trevor Bauer? Does it make them more or less likely to acquire
1: George Springer? I think this is going to mean that they're out. The, because they got um, Carrasco, I think they're going to be out on, on Trevor Bauer, especially if they want to get some help in their bullpen. And they're going to want to do that. Um, one of the guys that they're, they've been talking about trying to get is Brad Hand. Now, Brad Hand, for fantasy purposes, has been a very, very good closer. But if he comes to the Mets, he may not close. You have Edwin Diaz there, and he's he, if, if they do sign uh, Edwin um, sorry Brad Hand, He's he's gonna split some saves and and he's gonna lose some value, um. And having now with Francisco Lindor there, I I can't. If they're gonna want to sign him to an extension, how can they also spend so much money on 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 George Springer and pay him also? I think they may go for more defense, someone like a Jackie Bradley to go up the middle, and and to sign a reliever instead of going this George Springer route. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's possible. Uh, I think they are going to be out on Bauer. Uh, according to a Twitter poll that I put out, asking the same question, are the Mets more or less likely? Uh, and 67% say they are now less likely to sign Trevor Bauer. Interestingly, uh, Mets maybe Mets fans are drawing this, but uh, uh, 56% says they're more likely to acquire George Springer. The funny thing is, if you go on Twitter and you see people tweeting, here's the potential Mets lineup for 2021, and they show Lindor in it now, Um Almost all of them I've seen
1: include George Springer.
0: <laughs> he's not on the Mets yet. Uh, but the, but, yet but, people... the, but the, the thing is, the difference between
1: Brandon Nimmo and George Springer from war from last year is not that much. And Nimmo is under control, and not, they're not paying him that much. Yes, his defense isn't that great compared to George Springer in center field, but he's a cheaper option if you want to spend elsewhere. You can't spend on everything. Otherwise, you're going to go over the cap.
0: Yeah, the luxury tax threshold is is what there. Um, I, I've heard from sources that uh, Steve Cohen is not opposed to going over it, but does not. Prefers not to go over it uh, this very year, Um, so I think that you know if you're going to buy a George Springer, you're crippling yourself. If you want to stay under it from buying anybody else, you are better off with a Jackie Bradley Jr. who would improve your defense. By the way, Uh, I'm hoping the Mets have enough offense in there. Uh, So there you go. Uh, Interestingly, one thing that not a lot of people are mentioning about the trade, you know, if the Mets would sign George Springer, they would lose a draft pick. Um, in the following, uh, uh, in, in the next draft, uh, if they now that they have Lindor, if Lindor does go elsewhere, um, the following year the Mets would actually gain a draft pick. Hopefully, the Mets will sign him long term. Is I think the goal, but if it, if that doesn't work out, they get a draft pick. So net, it's actually two high draft picks that they would be getting. So that's that's one other aspect into it. Um, all right,
1: let's go to your uh, injury. Update. Uh, let's see what you have tonight. All right. I'm going to start with the San Francisco Giants and Reyes Maranta. Giants manager Gabe Kapler has suggested that Maranta will be giving... The opportunity to compete for the closer's job in spring training. Now, he missed the entire 2020 season rehabbing from shoulder surgery, but when he was pitching in 2019, he was very good. So that's something to keep an eye on. Matt Chapman, according to his agent, Scott Boris, Chapman has received clearance for increased activity and should be ready to start spring training on time. He actually had right hip surgery September of 2020. Jordan Hicks also is expected to enter spring training on a normal throwing schedule. He opted out of 2020, and he was recovering from Tommy John surgery. Another guy in the Cardinals who's coming back um, is Miles Michaelis. He is expected to start spring training on a normal schedule. He did have surgery on a right flexor tendon in late July 2020. Tommy Pham, he underwent surgery to repair a tear of his TFCC, or the Triangular Fibrocartilage Complex, in his left wrist at some point in the past couple months. They didn't really tell. It was a little bit unclear when it happened, and and we don't know how he's going to be, but... It's a wrist injury, so that's something to watch, to keep an eye on for his power. Another guy who had a wrist injury was Starlin Castro. He is considered fully healthy and actually wanted to play winter ball, but the Nationals told him to rest and prepare for spring training. Castro had surgery for a fractured wrist back in August of 2020. And lastly, another guy in the Nationals and another wrist injury, that's Steven Strasburg. He's resumed throwing and is expected to be ready to start spring training. Strasburg had carpal tunnel surgery August of 2020.
0: Oh, what's your uh, risk tolerance? You're the injury guy on 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 Strasburg. Last year obviously was a complete bust for him. Uh, what's your take on on? Is he too risky to to draft where he's going now?
1: I don't think he's me risk that too too much risk. But again, like we discussed in our previous podcast, I wouldn't be paying a premium for him. Um, he's very similar to what um, this is very similar to what David uh, Price had a couple of years ago when he had an issue with his with his wrist also. Um I think that David Price came back okay, so I don't think there's gonna be an issue with Steven Strasburg. He's also a little bit younger. And unfortunately Strasburg knows how to come back from surgeries and from injuries, so I don't think it's gonna be that much of an issue.
0: He's is the twenty-seventh pitcher on the board taken in the NFBC currently, seventy third player overall. Uh the pitcher who's right before him is Carlos Carrasco. Uh I think Especially with the change today, I think I would rather have Carrasco than Strasburg this year.
1: You agree? Less risk, less risk. Yeah, uh,
0: unbelievable. All right, uh, Ruvane, why don't you tell us uh, where uh, we can uh, read your stuff and uh, follow
1: you? Okay, you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates throughout the season and the off season. And I also have a weekly in season article on rollerballer Baller discussing the injuries when they're coming back and who's next up.
0: All right. My name is Ariel Cohen. I write for Fangraphs, CBS Sports, Sportsline and Roto Baller. The ATC projections are going to be coming out probably in about a week and a half by the time you hear this. So check them out. They'll be on Fangraphs this year once again. Very excited for that. I uh, want to give a special thank you to Minnesota Twins pitcher Randy Dobnek for joining us on today's show. A couple of good thoughts about the 2021 uncertainty. A little, little bit of an insight into what he does and how he thinks. so uh, it was kind of cool. Uh, and uh, we'll be back uh, later this week uh, with some more analysis. Uh, Todd Zola comes on the show next. Excited for him. And uh, from all of us here on Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.